0: Now well, those of you in the, uh, in the hall next door or online, live streaming, uh, we would so love to have everyone back together all in here again. Um, but for now, we'll just have to do as we do. And just remember, um, please register, pre-register early. Uh, again, we ran out of spaces by, uh, I think, last night when I checked. So um, yeah, we would love for everyone to have an opportunity to come in person at some point. So pre-register, we'd love to see you soon. There are only two industries that call their customers users illegal drugs and software. <laughs> if you are not paying for the product, then you are the product. Your attention is the product being sold to advertisers. What show am I quoting? They don't know. You haven't seen it on Netflix? oh, that is not the right slide. Did we lose a bunch of slides? That's it. The social dilemma. Who's seen this on Netflix? Wow, not many people. Let me give you a couple of other quotes from this. Why are my slides going crazy? Okay. The way to think about it is, as 2.5 billion Truman shows, each person has their own reality with their own facts. Over time, you have the false sense that everyone agrees with you because everyone in your newsfeed sounds just like you. Once you're in that state, it turns out you're easily manipulated. That's about social media, if you haven't clicked on. We've created a world in which online connection has become primary, especially for younger generations. And yet, in that world, anytime two people connect, the only way it's financed is through a sneaky third person who's paying to manipulate those two people. So we've created an entire global generation of people who are raised within a context where the very meaning of communication, the very meaning of culture is manipulation. It's a really important program. Now I tried to get one of my kids to watch this program, social media being it is, and the response was why should I watch a boomer program that's telling me everything you think that's wrong with my generation? I tried But here's the thing, if that program is right, the social dilemma, then we are all being deceived and manipulated for financial gain without our knowledge, any of you that are on any form of social media. But here's the thing, what if I told you that there was a more dangerous deception that has eternal consequences? This is what Paul was concerned about in that section that Amelia just read for us in 2 Corinthians 11. And this deception, mind you, is still a massive danger today, and it still has eternal consequences. And we are all in danger, more than most of us realize. So I hope you're ready, because we're going to dip into this passage, so why don't I pray and ask God to help us do that. Father, we pray that you would open our eyes today to the areas in which we are in danger of being deceived by false teaching. That ultimately comes from the enemy, Satan. We want to be a people that are preserved by you until we see you face to face, or we pray that you would speak to us through me. Amen. All right, so we've got an outline. Um, By the way, again, go online for the uh, digital outline that you can sync with your Bible apps. Uh, But I've got three points, and let me go with the first point, which is from the first few verses. Let me read some of those verses again. Paul writes, I hope you will put up with me in a little foolishness. Yes, please put up with me. I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband to Christ so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. But I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ." I remember I said last week we are uh, dipping into our final section of this letter of 2 Corinthians. Paul is making an impassioned plea to the church that he loves because they are following fakes. Uh, these fakes are leading them astray from their loyalty to him, Paul, but more importantly to Jesus. And Paul here gives the image, he's taking the role of the father of the bride. And some of us uh, were there yesterday witnessing Grace and Ryan's. Wedding, right? Now, in the ancient world, um, an engagement or betrothal often was done through families and often when they're just even just kids, okay? It's one of those ancient type of things that doesn't happen anymore. But it was the job of the father of the, the future bride to make sure that she is kept pure and ready for her husband on their wedding day. Now, I know it sounds old-fashioned and patriarchal, but you know what? Like we saw yesterday at Grace's wedding, that image is still something that we like to carry in our wedding ceremonies. Uh, In that, you know, the father still walks the bride down the aisle and gives her away, and she is dressed in what color? Usually white. All of that is a symbol of what we're talking about here. And Paul is saying that, well, these Christians, this church that he helped to establish, they have a sacred pledge. They were betrothed to Jesus. And when Jesus returns, Paul wants to be the good spiritual father. Give them over to their spiritual husband, Jesus, and have them remain completely devoted all the way until that day. And and so he's passionate, he's he's zealous for their purity, for their well-being, and that's what's meant by godly jealousy, okay? Here it's not the kind of jealousy that we feel mostly, no, this is the kind of jealousy that means something like passionate devotion, right? And this is what God often says he feels for his precious people. But you see, now, like a loving father, Paul fears that they're being manipulated. They're being deceived. They're being seduced away. Who's leading them astray? Well, verse 5 mentions these super apostles. It's probably the title they applied to themselves. Showy, impressive, uh, specked up to the gills with the latest and greatest in ancient Greek philosophy and Greek speaking skills. Super apostles. But you see, way more sinister than that, um, look at verse 13. He actually calls them out. He says they're false apostles. They're deceitful workers. They're masquerading, right? Playing, hiding as apostles of Christ. And verse 14, they're just like Satan, That's a pretty awful comparison, right? Verse 15, they will come under judgment, right? Now, we're not exactly sure what kind of false teaching they were promoting, but clearly it was serious enough that Paul would use such strong words. You need to know, friends, that this danger continues to this day. Among our church community, there are those who have come out of cults. Yes, they have. Cults are very active right now, so much so that university campus groups have put out warnings, and we ourselves have. By the way, if anyone asks you to do Bible study with them multiple times a week and refuse to tell them what church they belong to, they're probably a cult. Be careful. But you know, and this is what I want to focus on, not so much the cults. The biggest dangers, guess what, are not the gospel distorted by cults. In some ways, they're much easier to spot. The biggest danger comes from the gospel-compromised By worldliness. You got that? The biggest danger is when the gospel is compromised by worldliness, and that's being flaunted by legitimate churches all around. You see, the point of deception for the Corinthians is that these false apostles have scratched where they've itched the most. And where they've itched the most is their worldliness. And that is far more dangerous and much more difficult to spot for both the Corinthians and for us talk about the Corinthians first. What is their deception point? Well, in the ancient world, the best speakers would be virtually like entertainers. I mean, they didn't have social media, they didn't have Netflix, okay? So everything was live, but the best speakers were their entertainers. Um, these guys would be able to hold their audience's attention with their spoken performance. It's like the best of TED Talks, if you like. And the best of them would actually charge people huge money, huge sums of money, just to be able to watch. And the Corinthians loved that kind of stuff, and they lapped it up. And so they looked up to these false apostles who came along and spoke brilliantly, and who also charged large sums of money for their speaking. And then they looked down on Paul, who didn't speak like they did, and refused to charge money. You see that, don't you, in these verses, verses 5 to 8. I do not think that I am the least inferior to these super apostles. I may indeed be untrained as a speaker, but I do have knowledge We have made this perfectly clear to you in every way. Was it a sin for me to lower myself in order to elevate you by preaching the gospel of God to you free of charge? I robbed other churches by receiving support from them so as to serve you. Now, that's the background to Paul's defense. Now, you see the problem. The Corinthians, where did they get their values from? They got their values from the Greek culture they were immersed in. And here's the thing. At the very point that they are most like the world, they were most vulnerable to be manipulated. Now, clearly, that's not going to be the same for us. Not the same areas. In fact, we, are, and rightly so, are suspicious of any pastors or speakers in Christian churches who make millions of their ministries right that shouldn't happen and we're suspicious of that the corinthians love that we are suspicious of that obviously our areas are not the same so what is it for us it's not that we're not worldly it's not that we're so much better than the corinthians our worldliness looks very different so where are the most enticing areas of worldliness for christians especially christians in the west today Let me suggest two things. Our culture all around us really values these two things, right? The first one is our materialism and our consumerism. We are what we own. We are what we wear. We are how we look. We are what we buy. And everything exists to serve our needs. Yeah, that's consumerism. The second is this, unlimited personal freedom to define and express who we are. It's a huge one, isn't it? We get to define who we are. And we ought to have the freedom to express who we truly are. No one should be able to stop that. Not biology, how we're born, not your race, not your society. It's all about being authentic and being free. Isn't that a really dominant, perhaps even more dominant than consumerism? Now that sounds... Doesn't it? I mean, that second one especially, who doesn't want the kind of freedom to be ourselves? Is it so wrong? Well, the fact that we find it hard to see it in a negative light probably shows how deep we are in it because it's a lie, actually. It's a seductive lie, but it's still a lie. Because if you look closer, these two things can't coexist. You know, sir, these two things can't. See, our materialism and our consumerism means that the we, or the me, I want to authentically express is actually not defined by me. Who's it defined by? It's defined by social media, by the things I consume, by the advertisers, right? I can't define myself if I'm a consumer, and so rather than being free to express myself, I'm actually not free. Freedom is such an illusion, isn't it? We are actually slaves to cultural trends. Even the, By the way, even the idea of being free to define myself, that itself is a cultural trend. And we've lapped it up. Now, much more could be said, but that's for another time. Um, so this is our culture. This is the world around us. Are you, Christians, if you're a follower of Jesus, are you immune to this? Am I immune to this? Let's be honest. The answer is what? No. All I have to ask you is, how is your social media consumption? How is your body image? What are your spending habits like? What do you daydream about? What can't you live without? And the point is, at the place that we are most like the world, we are most vulnerable, aren't we? Because someone or some teaching comes along and offers a distortion, and the distortion, by the way, only has to be slight. The devil knows that the best deception comes with 90% truth but 10% poison, right? It only takes 10% poison or less. And then hook, line and sinker, we fall for it. Now, apart from the social dilemma, there's another show that's on Netflix, but it's also free online if you want to search it up. That really is worth watching. It's called "American Gospel: Christ Alone." Who's seen this one? Anyone? Yeah, this is really, really good. See, how and why? this program is all about how and why the majority of what is called evangelicalism in America that's exported to the world, how it is actually a false gospel. How mainstream churches are peddling a false gospel and millions are sold on it and billions are being made from it. And it's true. And we're in danger as well, we in Australia. You see, how deception happens is right there in verse 4. This is really the key verse, I think. For if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preach, or if you received a different spirit from the spirit you received... Or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. Okay, deception happens when you are offered what? A different three things. Jesus, a different spirit, a different gospel. So these three things, let's nut it out. Uh, Let's start with the gospel. Start from the end. What does gospel mean? It means good news. So what is the good news on offer in the message that you're hearing? What is the thing that you need to be saved from? Because that's your gospel. Then depending on the good news, a version of Jesus will be offered. Depending on what you need to be saved from, a version of Jesus as Savior will be presented. So what's He come to save you from and how does He do it? How does He deliver it to you? And then thirdly, the life that Jesus gives you will have a certain experience or shape to it. That's the Spirit. So... What is the saved life? What is the abundant life? What is the spiritual, spirit-filled life according to this gospel delivered to you by this Savior? It's always worth asking those questions when it comes to any teaching that comes along. Now, before we talk about the fakes, let's look at what the Bible says is the true Jesus, the true spirit, and the true gospel. Here we go. What is the true gospel? What is the true good news in the Bible? Well, it's that sinners and rebels like us deserving of hell and God's anger against our rebellion, we get a chance to be right with Him. It was in that kids video. That's the great news, all right? We get a chance for eternal life, through, though we deserve eternal death. And how that happens is through Jesus, the Savior, who is perfect God become perfect man, who dies on the cross in our place and exchanges our sin for His perfection, who bears God's anger and faces hell so that we would never have to, that's how he saves us. And then he rises again and tells us to trust him and follow him. That's the true Jesus. And he gives us the Holy Spirit. So we enter into intimate, right relationship with Jesus as our Savior and Lord. And again, as we saw in the kids video, we are born again, given a new start with new hearts. And the Holy Spirit is our connection with Jesus and our power to change until he returns. All right? That's the true gospel. That's the true Jesus. That's a true spirit. If you're a regular here, if you're a follower of Jesus, you know it, right? This is what we preach at our church. By the way, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, this is great news. This is for you. Today, you can respond to that simple gospel Jesus spirit and have everything that he wants to give you in that. So come and chat to us, please. Now, here's the thing. That is not what's being offered everywhere. And the most dangerous false teachings are going to scratch exactly where we itch the most. As I said, where we are most tempted to be like the world. And remember, what are the two things? Consumerism and freedom for self-expression. And so the gospel Jesus spirit on offer will be tailored to scratch that itch. So what does the gospel become? It becomes something to help us become our most authentic selves. Heard that before? What do we need to be saved from? Not realizing your potential. Sin is redefined in that way. It's not personal offense against a holy God. It's mainly just how broken you are. And then the good news, the gospel, is that God will heal your wounds so that you can be the best you can be. You can have your best life now. And Jesus is the Savior that's able to give you that life. He bore our wounds so our sicknesses and your wounds inside and out can be healed and guaranteed. Call on His name. Call on His authority. You can be just like Him. Signs, wonders, victory, all now yours. Name it, claim it in every sphere of your life, including your ambitions, your career, your finances. And that's what it means to be spirit-filled and spiritual. You can have and be all that you want to be. You can live in victory and success because that's what God wants for you. And that's what He's willing to give you. Does that sound familiar? It's exactly the kind of thing that that program American Gospel exposes. And don't think that we are not susceptible or vulnerable. The false gospel comes with lots of different versions, (laughs) each tweaked slightly with just enough truth to sound legit. But in the end, a different Jesus, a different spirit, a different gospel is on offer. And what is at stake? is the pure devotion of Jesus' bride, whom he died for and wants to claim as his own when he returns. And because he loves you, and because I love you, Please, 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 I beg you, be aware of the dangers. So here's how you can stay devoted. Firstly, know the truth. Those who are trained to spot counterfeit money are trained to study real currency so well so that they can spot a fake a mile away. Because there's infinite number of fakes, what they need to do is study the real thing and know it inside out in order that they might spot the fake when the fake comes. So... Obviously, right? get to know the truth. Get to know your Bibles. Um, you know that by the time that most of us are in the workforce, our professional knowledge will have increased exponentially. Yet here's the thing. For most working-age Christians, their knowledge of the Bible stays in youth group or Sunday school level. And it never increases. I can't stress enough how important it is for all of us to extend and grow our knowledge of the Bible of theology. And it's not just for Bible nerds and pastors and Bible college types. Nowadays, you can access so much that is free online. It's great stuff. Ask me if you want some references. Free lectures, podcasts, if you don't like to read, audiobooks. Oh, I love that um, during COVID, a couple of groups were doing, um, what was it, the correspondence, the online course together um, at Moore College. That's great. That will help you to know the truth. And and just as an aside, um, this is part of the reason why we wanted to update our doctrinal statement. Um, We updated our doctrinal statement to help so that it would be fuller and more helpful for you, so that at any point, like what we talked about, what is the gospel? What is Jesus? What is the Holy Spirit? Look up a doctrinal statement, and it's a helpful, we hope, biblical summary of it. So get to know it. That's the link. All right, but just changing the way we think... And just knowing more, by the way, will not be enough. Remember, these false teachings appeal to the places where the world influences us the most. Yeah, I've already said that. And it's not going to be primarily, therefore, the battle of the mind, believe it or not. It's the battle of the heart. Like, where is the world appealing to you? It's not your intellect. It's your desires, right? Your heart. And so it's at that level that the world woos us. And that's much harder. I can educate you with mind stuff, but how do you change your desires? How do we make sure our desires are aligned with God rather than the world? Well, it's going to be through rhythms and habits, countercultural rhythms. Now, we all know that what we want shapes what we do, right? Obvious, what we want will shape what we do. But did you know the reverse is also true? Did you know that what you do will shape what you want? You thought of that? What you do shapes what you want. That your desires are actually linked to your habits, your rhythms. Now, those of you, and this is not me, who make a point of being active and healthy in your exercise and your diet, I've heard that once it becomes part of your life, Actually, your desires change, like that you actually want to eat better. You stop loving junk food. You want to be active. Your desires actually change by your new habits and your new rhythms. I've heard this is true. You can verify with me if you're one of those Ryan types. See, if like so many people, the first thing you do in the morning and before you go to bed is to scroll through your social media feeds It's alright, I'm not picking on anyone in particular, I'm not eye contacting you, I don't know who you are, but I suspect it's a lot of you. If that's the first thing you do and the last thing you do, how do you think that is shaping what you love and what you value and what you desire? And then if you watch A Social Dilemma, how is the big companies who are financing and manipulating you trying to change what you desire? See, what if instead the first thing I do in the morning and the last thing I do at night is to turn my attention to God in prayer? And I'm not talking about a long prayer, just a short couple of sentences, prayer of my own or prayer with my spouse or prayer of my kids. Like if you replace one rhythm with another, what would happen? I guarantee you the orientation of your day and your very heart would change. See, this means that for Christians in our church, the physical and mental dangers of COVID, believe it or not, will not be as great as the spiritual dangers. Like, we are very fortunate here in New South Wales, right? I actually don't personally know anyone who tested positive, and many of you would say the same. That's not the same around the world. But for us here, the main dangers are not going to be the physical or even the mental dangers of COVID, but the spiritual. See, some will come out of COVID and leave the faith, not because of some dramatic change in belief or conviction, but simply because the things of God no longer matter to them. And it happened because COVID took away some really important personal and corporate rhythms. So if we want to be less vulnerable to false gospels and not be seduced away in our devotion to Jesus, then we have to cultivate desires that are God-shaped rather than world-shaped. And to do that, we have to immerse ourselves in rhythms and habits, firstly as individuals and then secondly as a body that will help. So firstly as individuals. Um, the best book on the subject worth reading, or it's probably an audio book if you don't like reading, is called You Are What You Love by James K.A. Smith. I cannot Recommend this book enough. This is what he says. Just This is about virtue. He says, learning virtue, becoming virtuous, is more like practicing scales on the piano than learning musical theory. The goal is, in a sense, for your fingers to learn the scales so that they can play naturally, as it were. Learning here isn't just information acquisition. It's more like inscribing something into the very fiber of our being. As individuals, if you want to grow then these scales, these personal rhythms become important. We need to invest in what used to be called spiritual disciplines, like daily Bible reading and prayer, perhaps even regular fasting for extended times of prayer, like private worship, adoration of God, with or without music, like weekly Sabbath and rest, like, time to read and deeply think. Memorizing scriptures, not just for kids. All right, this is not rocket science. But let me suggest to you that these are the kind of things that, when they become rhythms and habits, actually will shape your desires. Well, what about corporately? Corporately, our gatherings are a countercultural rhythm. Right? Actually, gathering on rest days. And I'll say this gently, but physically gathering as a part of that rhythm. See, not only so, the way we actually stru- structure our church, our corporate worship, it's itself. Did you know it's a, it's itself a deliberate, deliberate repetitive rhythm? Um, it's otherwise known as liturgy or order of service. Right? It's deliberately gospel-shaped. That's a rhythm. And um, if you've been here a while at SWEC, you'll know it very well because every week it's pretty much the same. We purposely give you a set liturgy, a rhythm to help establish those desires. So we start with focusing on God, right? And then we move to, to worship in song and then there's a confession to bring our confessions to God Because we know we've sinned against Him. And then we receive the forgiveness and we're reminded of the gospel through song again. And then when that's done, we look to each other and we hear about community news. And then we pray together to God. And then we hear from God in His Word read. And then we hear the Word preached. And then we respond in song and in other ways. And then we're sent away with a blessing. That's the rhythm. That's a gospel rhythm. It's deliberately there. It's meant to inscribe it to you. I know it's predictable. It's meant to be predictable because it's establishing a corporate rhythm. Over time, it shapes our church culture. It shapes our desires. Or as uh, the book says that I quoted before, worship is the arena in which God recalibrates our hearts, reforms our desires, and rehabituates our loves. Worship isn't just something we do. It is where God does something to us. Worship is the heart of discipleship because it is the gymnasium in which God re trains our hearts and that's why COVID has actually hurt us spiritually because gathering online when you can just turn up in your PJs tune in and tune out not really engage not really be with anyone not sing not participate those have become new rhythms that were worked against our God honoring desires online church what does it feed into ultimately if that becomes your norm It feeds into the very consumerism that our world loves, because on any given Sunday, I can tune into any number of churches. That suits me. So as much as possible, I know it's not possible for everyone, but as much as possible, let me encourage those who can to please come in person, change back your rhythms, even though we cannot sing for now and we need to be socially distanced. Even if, and this is not just a COVID problem, if your parents have young kids, I know, they're young, you barely get anything out of coming to church sometimes, but the very act of coming weekly, you see, is itself a rhythm. And if you can't come for, for good reasons, and that's some of you, make sure you're doing your best to make online church not just something you watch, but somehow something you participate in. Because our corporate rhythms are important. And by the way, not just on Sundays, during the week as well. You know, right? Meeting weekly, especially kind of middle of the week, Tuesday, Wednesdays, even if it's Friday. But meeting weekly with other people in community groups or triplets or one-on-one to read the Word of God and pray. That's a rhythm. Um, those of you who can and have, good on you for making Thursday night prayer meetings. right Every week on Zoom, it's easy. Make that part of your weekly rhythm. That'll be great for you as well as for, for our prayer life. Doing family devotions. Like praying together with your spouse and your kids regularly every day if you can. Right, These rhythms are precious and important. Guard them. Because without them, all we're going to get is what's coming through our devices and our social media feeds. And what's at stake, you'll remember, is that our hearts are so much more vulnerable to a false gospel that's going to feed into those very desires shaped only by the world. And Jesus is too precious, isn't he? And you are too precious to him to let that happen. Let me get the band up, let's pray. Father God, please help us as we consider how you might have spoken to us today, that the world may not speak louder than what's coming through other sources, and new rhythms and habits or old rhythms and habits are not easy, especially in in this time of COVID and uncertainty, we pray that as your people, you might help us do that so that our desires will be shaped only by you.